Good morning, guys. How's everybody? Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back and be able to talk with you guys. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for everything that you've already done this morning. Uh, thanks for time together. Thanks for my friends. Uh, thanks for um, the ministry of, of Riverview. God, this has nothing to do with us, but yet you choose to use us. Um, and you're at work in our midst, and you've been at work in our midst, and we're grateful for that. And so um, we're just going to ask you con- to, to continue doing that this morning um, through every aspect that's already happened and through uh, the aspects that we still uh, have yet to enter into as far as worship. Um, right now, we want to give you um, the attention of our hearts and the attention of our mind um, and ask that you would uh, allow us to proceed in wisdom um, in our hearing and wisdom for me in speaking. And Father, I just pray that at the end of the day, um, we would be encouraged uh, to walk closely with you in your word and closely with you into the everyday moments of our life. I want to pray in Jesus' name now. Amen. One second. That happens sometimes. Sorry. Uh, If you could uh, pass down uh, anything uh, to your kids, if you have kids, or you could pass down something to somebody within your realm what would it be that you would pass down? What would you pass down? And before you answer too quickly, I want you to think to yourself, self, is that worth passing down? Okay? And here's why I tell you that. Uh, I have collected T-shirts over my life. Okay? Anybody else collect T-shirts, runs that you've done, or high school T-shirts, weightlifting camps that you've gone to, or something like that? I've collected these t-shirts, and I thought one day when I'm old or when I'm dead and gone, my kids are going to want those t-shirts. And so I've drugged those t-shirts around with me in a bag from place to place that we've lived. Now, here's the reality. Nobody wants those nasty t-shirts. My kids don't want that junk. I don't want that junk. That junk's sitting out in the garage in a bag, and I hope to probably never even see it again. And so you're probably never going to want to see that stuff. What do you want to pass down to your kids Is it worth passing down? What do you want to pass down to the people around you? Is it worth passing down? I I think about this all the time when it it comes to my kids. I think about uh, who I want them to be when they grow up. And I I don't actually think about necessarily what I want them to be when they grow up, although there are times when I think about their vocation and what they're going to do and just kind of dream about that kind of stuff. But more, more reality for my life is who I want them to actually grow up to, uh, to be when I'm no longer here uh, in, anymore. I want my daughters to grow up, and I want them to know Jesus. And, and I don't want them to just know about Jesus. I want them to know him as the greatest part and the most important part of their life. I want that for my son as well. I, I want my uh, girls to grow up. I want them to know what it looks like to be loved by a man who loves Jesus. I want my son to grow up, and I want him to know what it means to be a man. And when I say man, I don't, I don't just mean a male, right? Because that's getting increasingly more difficult and confused in our society. When I say I want him to grow up to be a man, I want him to grow up to know what it looks like to be a man who loves the Lord. I, I want him to grow up to be a man who loves the Lord, and he's not ashamed by that, but he finds his source of strength and character and integrity out of that relationship, that it flows in and out of him in that way. I don't want him to be embarrassed by that. I want him to know what it's going to look like to, to love his wife one day and to maybe grow up and to, to lead a family one day. There are some things that I want to pass down uh, to my kids. What do you want to pass down to yours if you have them? What do you want to pass down to the people around you? Now, here, here's the thing. We can only pass down what we possess. I'm going to say that again. 
We can only pass down what we actually possess. And I'm going to say it again in a different way. I can only give away what I actually have. That means like, like I can't give you a car that I don't have, right? And I can't pass down a faith that's real if I don't have a faith that's real. And so if I want my kids to love Jesus, what's that mean? I've got to love Jesus. If I want my girls to grow up to know what it looks like to be loved by a man who loves Jesus, then I've got to love their mama in such a way that they don't ever doubt what that looks like, right? They've got to see that coming out of me from my life and the way that I love their mama. If I want my son to grow up and I want him to be a man who, who loves the Lord Jesus and finds his strength and his character and his integrity and the things that he lives for in Jesus, then what's that mean for me? I need to grow up and I need to be a man who finds my own strength and integrity and character in my relationship with the Lord. He's got to see that coming out of my life. He may glean it from seeing it in somebody else's life, but he's going to gravitate towards what he sees in his dad. He's going to gravitate towards that. So we can't pass down the most important things if we don't have the most important things. Or it's going to be difficult for us to pass down the most important things if the most important things in our life are fuzzy to us or if the most important things for us get overshadowed by competing things in our heart for the desires, the things that come in and compete against the, uh, the desire and the affections of our heart. If that is overshadowing a desire to love and to serve the Lord, it's going to be difficult for pass that down to our kids. Does that make sense? Here's where a, uh, a sobering thought comes in. We're all going to pass down something, okay? Let that sink in for a second. We are going to pass down something. What's that something going to be? We'll most likely pass down uh, what our hearts desire. If I'm a football fanatic, and my Saturday, Sunday, Monday are driven by a passion for football, that's probably going to get passed down to my kids somewhere or somewhere in my life. If I'm a gearhead and, and I just think about cars and dream about cars and talk about cars, that's probably going to come out somewhere. Now, not that those things are bad. It's just if that's the focus and the drive of my life, that's going to come out somewhere. Our kids are going to likely gravitate towards the things that we gravitate towards. It doesn't always happen, but in a general sense, that's kind of how it works. Like, my wife, she loves to bake, and she's real good at it, okay? And I love that she loves to bake. I benefit from that. And she never had to go to my daughter and say, hey, Adeline, come into the kitchen and help me bake, because my daughter saw the love that my wife has for being in the kitchen and baking, and she wanted to do what she saw her mother love to do. She wanted to glean from, from that. She wanted to do with her mother did. See, we're going to pass down something, and it's going to likely be what we gravitate towards. It's going to be what our hearts gravitate towards. It's going to be what our actions and our focus gravitates towards. We're starting a new series this morning in the book of Proverbs uh, that we're calling Old School Wisdom. And, and the heart behind this old school wisdom in this series is that when we look around and, and we, we see people that are running toward uh, all kinds of things that are, are, are retro, right? Like the 70s and the 80s and, and somewhat of the 90s, like those things are back, right? Like those, those are back. You can go to the store. Like uh, this past week, we were going to a family camp and there are theme nights there. And uh, one of the nights was an 80s night. And, and, and so like I thought, man, were you ever going to be able to find something that's from the 80s? Like, we went to the store, and y'all, it's there. Like, it's, it's all there. And so if you got rid of something back in the 80s, and you say, I'm never, ever going to wear that thing again, and so you just, like, took it to Goodwill and dropped it off, and now you're regretting it, 
All you got to do is go to the store, guys, because it's probably there. We're going to find something that looks a, a, a lot like what you're looking for, right? We have a society right now that is running back toward the things from the past. But one of the things that we're not really doing a good job of is running back to the timeless truths of God's word. We're not doing a good job of running back to the things that God has handed down to us. When it comes to truth and, and wisdom, there, there seems to be this ongoing progressive push to keep looking for something new that, that's yet to be revealed. All the while in the back of our minds, maybe we don't say it, but there's this subtle thing that maybe it hasn't yet been revealed to us. Maybe truth is still waiting to be found somewhere and, and we're grasping and we're looking and, 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 and culture is saying, I know what's true. And, and the past, is, there are people who've said, I'm, I know what's true. And so we're wrestling through all of that. But there's this progressive push to say, what's been given of truth in the past is not the truth that we can hold on to today. And, and God has already given us what's true, yet we keep looking for something that's new. And so in our series in the Proverbs, we're not, we're not looking necessarily to uncover any kind of new truth. We're actually looking back to see how we can learn to live out the truth that's already been given to us, this timeless truth that's already been handed down. And at the end of the day, we believe that this truth that's been given to us, this old school wisdom, is something that is worth handing down and passing down to this generation that will pass it down to the next generation to the next generation so that it's not foggy and so that we're not confused on what it is that we're supposed to live for and what's to be our drive and desire in life. You guys ready to jump into Proverbs? Yeah, okay, yeah. Let, let me pray for that. Lord Jesus, uh, we are jumping into Proverbs and we just ask for you to lead us into it, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. What we need to know as we uh, kind of dive into the Proverbs uh, on the front end is that the Proverbs come from something that's called wisdom literature, okay? Wisdom literature is a type of writing that we find in Scripture, and wisdom literature, it's a, it's, it's a type of writing that gives us a general advice. It's not necessarily promises. It kind of paints like this what life should look like. This is what life could look like if you follow the wise uh, principles in life. And again, it's not necessarily promises. It's, it's general, which means that in the normal order of life and, and practice, if you follow these guidelines, there's a general sense of how things are, are going to play out. It's not a book of promises. And it's not a book of formulas. Like if you just kind of plug and play, it's always going to come out like this. It's generalities on this is how you can live a life of godliness in, in this way. Whether it turns out the way that you want it all the time or not, this is how you walk with the Lord. And in a general sense, you know, there are some maxims that we, that we walk by in life that you just kind of pick up. Well, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And we understand what that means. Like you work hard. Um, we understand when somebody says, hey, don't eat yellow snow right? Like, that's not going to go well for you. Like, if you eat it, that's going to be bad, right? There are general things that we live by, but there are some truths in Scripture that are, that are always true, but it doesn't mean that they always work out exactly the way that you want because we're living somewhat in a fallen world. So these are general guidelines for living a life of wisdom uh, towards what God has called us to. And the Proverbs are, are uh, composed or compiled by a guy named Solomon. We know him as King Solomon, um, uh, he's written a lot of the Proverbs that we find in Proverbs. He doesn't write them all. Those that he doesn't write, we understand that he has compiled and pulled them all together. Um, there are some other writers in the Proverbs that are just simply known as sages. Um, sages were uh, wise guys, um, wise people who were able to talk about the times. They were able to see the times, and they were able, capable of passing down wisdom that was worth listening to. 
And so God, in his providence and his sovereignty, not only did he use the voice of Solomon, but he used the voice of these sages as well, and he brings it in uh, to Scripture, and it fits into the canon of Scripture. Uh, God chose to include them. Now, one, uh, you, you with me so far? Okay. Uh, one of the, time, or one of the um, cultural norms of the time was that uh, fathers, they would leave behind um, uh, an inheritance, or they would pass down uh, things of importance to their families. We know that today as something like inheritance. It was kind of an inheritance then as well. But one thing, they would especially pass down things to their sons. Now, obviously, we know that they passed down their name to their boys. Uh, we know that they passed down their reputation as well. They would also pass down their money and their property as well. And that's typically what we understand as an inheritance, right? Like the stuff that you're going to leave me behind. Make sure the stuff you leave me is good. Make sure the stuff, you, not, not some junky t-shirts out in the bag. Leave me behind something that's worth it, okay? And so we understand it like that. Um, remember the story of the prodigal son? That, that story comes out of, it all started with the idea of um, a, a father one day passing down his inheritance to a son, and there was a son who got a little bit out of shape or got uh, maybe a little bit uh, greedy and jumped ahead and said, hey, I want the inheritance now before he actually died. So he, he, this idea of inheritance of money and possessions and property and stuff, it carries to the New Testament as well, and it also carries to where we are uh, today as well. But the greatest thing that could ever be passed down from generation to generation at this point was wisdom. Wisdom to live life well, wisdom to not make a fool out of yourself in public or in private, wisdom uh, to know what's worth living for, and, and to, to live for something that was bigger than yourself. And, and I think we could say it like this, to live for something that will outlive you. I think there's, there's some Christian ministry somewhere that that's maybe, maybe their slogan that I've heard it before. To live for something that's going to, to outlive you, something that's bigger than yourself. Now, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination for us to understand that YouTube and TikTok and other social media platforms, that wasn't something of the day back then, right? That's, that's new to our culture. Um, but they had a way of passing down information uh, then, just as we have now. But it was a very oral society. And, and so the way that you found out about something that was important to somebody else is that they spoke it to you. And you were to memorize things. You were to remember what was important. And, and, and not only were you to memorize it, but you were actually to write it down. And those who were wise enough to write things down, they somewhat become the, the moral compass or the spiritual compass for not only that generation, but for generations that would come. So how, how was, what was important then? Well, let's read back to see what somebody else wrote about. And so when one of these sages or when uh, Solomon writes, he's writing as somebody who is saying, these are the things that are important for us to live by. He's becoming, in essence, a moral compass or a spiritual compass for that generation, but also for the generations that are going to follow as well. And so during the time, parents had an obligation to figure out how to live with wisdom in their own lives, right? They had to learn how to possess wisdom for themselves, but they also had to learn how to uh, pass on that wisdom to their children, to possess wisdom so that they might be able to pass down Wisdom, because remember, we can't pass down what we don't first possess. We can't give somebody something that, that we don't have. And so Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, he is going to be writing as a father who's passing down his wisdom to his sons, but he's also going to be writing as a sage who's passing down wisdom from generations, from generation to generation, to get down to where we are now for us as we read these words as well. Make sense? Okay. And so unless we... Let, uh, let, so that we don't think that this is just somehow made up 
and this idea of passing down uh, wisdom from generation to generation, because there were other sages who wrote things during the time of the Proverbs. You, you, you can read other ancient writings that, that mimic some of the Proverbs, and there's a lot of back and forth, like, well, who drew from who? Who compiled from who? And so lest you think this was just some kind of cultural good idea to write down things, I want you to know that this was God's idea. This came from him. And so to do that, I want us to jump back to Deuteronomy 6 before we jump into Proverbs 1, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is God giving Moses the command to pass down a love for God, but also a love for the truth, okay? So let's read this here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you see what God is telling Moses and Moses is communicating to uh, the, the nation of Israel here? You see, God is telling them to pass down a tangible faith so it doesn't stop with their generation, that it goes on to the next generation. Pass down something that's tangible. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Like for you personally, you love the Lord, but then you pass it down in every single way that you can. Be creative with it. Put it on your doors. Put it on your walls. Put it in your kids' lunchbox as they go to school. Put it on your husband's steering wheel as he's driving down to work. Get creative with how you do this, but you make sure as you teach it and you talk about it that this is important enough in your life that it's actually getting passed down to your children as well, that it's getting passed down to the next generation. What he's saying is don't let what you've been told and what you live by, don't let it be fuzzy to you. Definitely don't let it be fuzzy or foggy to those that you're bringing up or you're training that are coming under you. He says, this is the source of your life. Now, if this is true, if these words and the God that they were following, if this is true, the Old Testament's true, if the New Testament is true, if the gospel is true, and I believe that it is, then there is nothing greater than that we can pass down than what Moses is telling us to pass down from generation to generation. There is nothing. I mean, we can live for some really great things, and we can do some really great things, and we can pass down good things to our kids. But there is nothing greater, if this is true, that we can hand down than a solid faith in the Lord that starts with us and it gets passed down to our kids or it gets passed down to people that we walk alongside with mentoring as well. There's nothing greater that we can pass down. And so let me ask you, how do you tangibly follow the Lord? How do your kids know that God is important to you? How do your grandkids know that God is important to you? How do they tangibly hear it from your life? How do they tangibly see it in, in your life? Is it tangible enough for you that it becomes tangible enough for them? Is it important enough to you that it becomes important enough to them? It's a big question for us to consider, right? Because if there's nothing greater that we can pass down, and we're not passing it down, we've got some things to think about. We've got some good things to think about. In, in 1 Kings chapter 2, King David, he's getting ready to die. He's in the process of dying. Solomon, uh, his son here, he's going to be replacing him as king, and uh, he's going to get riches. He's going to get um, prestige. He's going to get power. He's going to get a palace to live in. 
He's going to get this great physical inheritance that's going to be handed down to him from his daddy. But before David dies, this is what he tells Solomon. He says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Okay, he's about to die. Why would he say these last words to his son Solomon? Why would he include this as part of his last words? I think it's because he doesn't want his son to get confused about what's most important. He's about to get all this physical inheritance. He's about to get all this prestige, but he doesn't want him to get confused. Obviously, he's passing down the promise that God has given David uh, as, far as, as far as the kingdom. But he's also, he doesn't want him to get confused about what's most important in his life. And so what he's saying is, son, if I can leave anything with you, I want you to hear me tell you, love God. Love God. Do great things. Go do amazing things in the culture. Go do amazing things. You go work hard, but of utmost priority in your life, don't you forget to love God first. This is why I think he's writing this. And then you come to 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, David has now died. Solomon is now the king, and so you have this brand new king. Who's, who's, a, who's a young dude at the time. He doesn't, he's never been a king before. He doesn't have any experience in this. He saw his daddy do it. But when you step up to the plate, it's a completely different ball game. When you're now the one making decisions, when all the leadership questions are, are coming to you, when the buck stops at your desk or when the buck stops at your job, right? It's a completely different scenario. And so in all of this pressure that now he's feeling, he's calling out to guys like, how do I do this? And so in this conversation that he's having with the Lord, he says, like, the Lord asked him, hey, what do you want me to do for you? And you know what Solomon asked for? He said, Lord, would you just grant me wisdom? Give me wisdom to lead with. Give me wisdom to live by. And out of God's goodness and his kindness, do you know what he does for Solomon? He makes him the wisest man to ever live then. And I think Solomon is probably the wisest guy to still ever live. Did he, was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. But I think he's still the wisest guy who's ever lived. And you know what he does with the wisdom that God gives him? Obviously, he leads with that wisdom, but he writes Proverbs. He passes down that wisdom from generation to generation to generation. Kathleen, uh, thanks for uh, reading uh, Proverbs 1 uh, for us. All of chapter 1, it's uh, setting up how the rest of the book is, is going to be laid out. It's often difficult when we read through the Proverbs because it feels like there's like this buckshot of stuff that's out there, like nothing feels like it's connected to one another. But chapter one, it kind of becomes the umbrella and sets the purpose for everything else that's going to come. And then so when you read about things later in chapter 11, 12, 13, and you get all the way to 31, that all is going to somehow fit under this umbrella of wisdom that Solomon lays out in, in chapter one. In chapter one, he, he sets up to give out the purpose of the Proverbs. And that's to live a life that is walking in wisdom versus, wa versus walking in, uh, in foolishness. Because there are two type of people who get set up constantly throughout the Proverbs. You have those who walk in wisdom, and you have those who choose to live like a fool. And so you can be wise in business. You can be wise um, as a parent. You can be wise with your words. You can be wise in all these areas that he's going to address within the Proverbs. Or... You can choose to live like a fool. 
and to throw off all the instruction that he's going to give and to live your life with your nose thumbed up to or thumbing your nose up at God and say, I can figure out life all by myself. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your truth. I'll continue to try to figure it out as I go. And so what Solomon does from the outset here is he's going to tell his boys and he's going to tell you and me as we sit here, he's going to say, don't live like a fool. Live with wisdom. Live with instruction. Be teachable. And so he takes chapter one and he sets out the heart of, of being wise. And I was reading this uh, this week. I, I was thinking about um, just an image, like an image came to my mind of what this looks like. Because you, again, you look at the buckshot of all the Proverbs, and you're like, man, how do these all go together? And, and I thought, man, it's almost like Solomon is walking around with a notebook in his pocket and a pen, right? And, and every time he's in a situation and something comes to mind, he's like, oh, I want my boys to know that. Like he pulls it out and he writes it down and says, like, okay, don't forget to tell them that. It's like he's, he's sitting in a, uh, um, and a, a meeting with international dignitaries. You know, people are coming to see all of his wisdom and all of his glories and all of the riches that he has. And, and, and uh, he's like, hey, hold on for a second. That just reminded me. And he, pull, he pulls out his uh, notebook and his pen and he writes down, okay, don't, don't forget to tell my boys. Tell them that their tongue is powerful. Tell them that they can build up people or they can tear down people. Their tongue can be used for good or their tongue can be used for evil. And then in the middle of that, he's like, okay, everybody go back to it. Let's, let's get back to work. And then maybe a little bit later, he's sitting with his cupbearer, and they're he's tasting the food to make sure that he's not going to get poisoned. And that reminds him, oh, remind my boys about the poison of deceit and remind them about wrong business practice. And so he pulls out the notebook and the pen, and he writes down, okay, tell my boys that it's important to be shrewd in business, but it's also important to be honest in business. It's like he's carrying around this notebook, and just as he goes through life, he's just writing things down. I've heard of, of parents uh, especially dads who have, who have done that, who have actually t- had a notebook and, or, or, uh, or something that they're typing into on, uh, on, I'm about to sound old, on, on the internet, on, on, the, on the Microsoft Word or whatever it is you type things on, right? Uh, and, but they're perfectly healthy, but things that they're thinking about, like before I die, these are the things that I want my kids to know. And so they just keep this list of things that when they're gone, they want their kids to remember uh, to live by and what was in, important to them. And so, they, and so they write these things down. And when they're planned to be gone, their kids can pull it out and, and begin to see what was important to their parents or especially their dad. I've never done that, but every time I've heard it, I thought, man, wouldn't that just be amazing? It'd be a hard document to write, right, because you're always processing dying at some point. But wouldn't it be amazing to be able to, and, and I, so I, I thought about that, what that would be like. Like you've been trying to build into and then pass down something to your kids all their life, and then one day when you're dead and gone, they pull out this journal or notebook and, or they open up a document on the computer and they see this list. Things I want my kids to, to know and to live for. And then they start to read through your notes, maybe handwritten, maybe typed in. And they start to realize these are the things that were so important to my dad or these were the things that were so important to my mom. And then in essence, what's happening is they're kind of downloading your faith. It's another, it's another reaffirmation of the things that you uh, lived for and were important to you as you lived your life. And they're downloading that and, and they're seeing what you consider to be important. If you had a book like that, what would be in your book? What would be the things that you'd be writing down right now? What are the things that you wouldn't want your kids to forget? What are the things that you wouldn't want your parents or 
your friends to forget, to know what to live for and to know what matters most. Would you have a notebook like Solomon's? This is what Solomon's doing here. It's like his journal of things that I want my kids to know and to live for. Look at these first four verses again. He says, here is the purpose of my notes. And if you're wondering why we're just now getting to the Proverbs, we're setting up the Proverbs. We're going to be in the Proverbs all summer long, okay? So this is just a setup for us for the morning. It says, here's the purpose of my notes. I'm writing this so that they would know wisdom and instruction. I'm writing so that they would understand words of insight. I'm writing so that they would receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, equity. I'm writing so that I can give prudence to the simple, so that I can give knowledge and discretion to the youth. And so here in these first four verses, these first few verses, this is the purpose that everything else in the book is going to fall under, right? All these buckshot um, little sayings, they're all coming and they're falling under these purposes that, that Solomon writes right here. And I read commentary after commentary after commentary this week, trying to find all the different nuances in to know and to understand and to receive and to give. Obviously, there, there are different variations of these words, and, and, and these, ha- these words have their own different nuances, but they're all circling around this one idea, right? Is that they are circling around this one thing. He's saying, I want my boys to grow up, and I want them to have wisdom. I don't want them to, to grow up and to grasp at straws, wondering about what's important. I don't want them to be confused in a society that wants to eat their lunch. I don't want them to be confused in a culture that is saying one thing about what's most important and then not, not know any longer what, what's supposed to be important to them. I don't want them to live in a fog of confusion. I want them to know what's important. I want them to know to, how to have wisdom to chase after the right things. I want them to know how to live for the right things. Because here's the reality. It's one thing to know truth. It's one thing to know good from evil. It's one thing to know all of these things. It's another thing to put it into practice in your life and order your entire life around what is true. To actually put legs and feet, or hands and feet, to the truth that you have, right? But isn't that what wisdom is? Wisdom I think it can be summed up like this. Wisdom is choosing to order your life around what God has said is important. Wisdom is choosing to order your life around what God says is important. So if you want to be wise, I think what Solomon is saying, then order your life around what God has said you need to order your life around. Don't try to figure it out as you go. He's already told us how to be wise. He's already told us what to live for. Don't try to seek some new truth. Live by what he's already delivered to us. Eugene Peterson, Eugene Peterson says it like this uh, as he's introducing uh, uh, the chapters leading into the Proverbs. He says, wisdom, this is real small, sorry about that. I wanted to get it all on one screen for you guys. He says, wisdom is the biblical term for this on earth as it is in heaven, everyday living. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. It has virtually nothing to do with information as such, with knowledge as such. A college degree is no certification of wisdom, nor is it primarily concerned with keeping us out of moral mud puddles, although it does have a profound moral effect upon us. I mean, you look in our society now, it doesn't matter if you have a degree or not, it's some of the most educated that are confusing us the most. Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents and raising our children, handling our money and conducting our sexual lives, 
going to work and exercising leadership, using words well and treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthfully, cultivating emotions within ourselves and attitudes toward others that make for peace. Threaded through all these items is the insistence that the way we think of and respond to God is the most practical thing we do. In matters of everyday practicality, nothing, absolutely nothing takes precedence over God. Isn't that wisdom? That's wisdom written down for the ages. Choosing to order our life around what God has already said is important. All these words, to know, to understand, to receive, they're all leaning into this idea in general that we don't know everything. We don't know everything that there is to be known. We don't have it all figured out, and sometimes we have to ask. And when we have to ask, we go to the right source to figure out what it is. And so I want everybody to raise your hand with me, okay? Nobody left out here. Raise your hand. This is group activity. I want everybody to say with me, I don't know everything. I'm like, yeah. How hard was that, right? I was, I was uh, thinking there'd be a little bit of reluctance to that. And I don't think everybody raised their hand, but the reality is we don't know everything. There is a teachability and a humility that comes from wisdom. And sadly enough, in the culture that we're living in right now, like we have all the answers, but we don't have enough wisdom to listen. We have all the answers. Everybody's feeling like, I've got the answer. We all think that we've got life figured out. I mean, look, look around us. There are voices everywhere that are saying, I have the right answer. No, I have the right answer. No, your answer is antiquated and it's outdated. You need some new information to go along with what words real truth. And so you can't possibly have the truth. You can't possibly be right. Voices today that are considered to be woke to everything that needs to be known. And the more woke we are, the more woke we become, the further we seem to be getting away from what I would call old school wisdom or timeless wisdom that comes from God, a God who calls us to live our life and to order our life around everything that he's already told us is true. There's a humility around saying, I don't know, but I know the one who does. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is the key verse for this morning, and verse 7 is the key verse for all of Proverbs. And I think not only is it the key verse for all of Proverbs, I think this might be the key verse for life. The fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom here gets associated with the fear of the Lord. Foolishness gets associated with a lack of fear of the Lord or a lack of, of wisdom. So what does it mean then to fear the Lord? Do I walk around just simply afraid to be in his presence? Do I walk around afraid to pray? Do I walk around afraid to, that he's going to smite me at any turn of my life? No, because I think Hebrews actually tells us something different. Hebrews tells us that we've been given boldness to stand in his presence. We've been, go, been given boldness to stand because of what Jesus did on our behalf, not because of anything we do or don't do. It, it's by faith in Jesus and by faith in Jesus and the work and the finished work that he's done on the cross, we are able to stand boldly before the Lord. So fear of the Lord can't possibly mean that we shy away from him or shy away from his presence. It actually means draw into my presence. Come into where I am. Order your life around me. Um, so what does fear of the Lord mean then? David Hubbard, who was a, an old uh, president, uh, I'm not saying he was old, he is a former president of Fuller Theological um, uh, Seminary, uh, he said that the fear of the Lord is a reverent obedience. And then he further defined that like this. He said, although fear includes worship, 
It doesn't end there. It radiates out from our adoration and devotion to our everyday conduct that sees each moment as the Lord's time, each relationship as the Lord's opportunity, each duty as the Lord's command, and each blessing as the Lord's gift. It is a new way of looking at life and seeing what is meant to be when viewed from God's perspective. What he says is that the fear of the Lord isn't just the beginning of wisdom, The fear of the Lord is all of wisdom. We don't somehow just start with Lord. The fear of the Lord uh, is the beginning. Like when when Solomon writes that, he's not just saying that we somehow outgrow wisdom at some point as we mature in our faith. What he means is that, no, it's not only the beginning, but our whole life becomes the fear. Our whole life gets wrapped up as a point of worship. The fear of the Lord is an ongoing life of worship that seeks at every turn to seek the Lord's face, that sifts through the noise and the junk, to live for what matters, or as we said earlier, to live for something that's going to outlive us. And then, by God's grace, as we live for what outlives us, we begin to possess something that we can pass down from generation to generation. So I want to ask you again, do you have anything that's worth passing down? What do you want to pass down to your kids? If you have a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you, you have something remarkable to pass down. But you might think, man, that's been sitting on the back burner. I've walked away or I've done certain things. I want you to know that in God's grace, he's not done with you. That it's not too late. Yeah, but my, my kids are out of the house. I don't have kids. Or, like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not, like, God wants to use you to speak truth into the lives of anybody around you, whether it's your kids or somebody else's kids, mentoring relationships. He wants to use you in those relationships. He's not done. We can pass down what we possess. Um, I think I've told you guys in the past, uh, this past year, um, uh, I gathered together with a group of guys uh, who just, man, we just wanted to, we, a group of guys who had boys uh, specifically, and we just wanted to figure out how do we raise boys in this culture, in this society? How do we raise boys with intentionality? And so we got together and we uh, thought about intentional things that we wanted to Im- invest in the lives of our boys. And one of the things that we kept coming back to week after week as we met together is we can't pass down what we don't possess. And so it was a call for us to continue to get into the Word, is a call for us to not only talk about the Lord, but actually live a life of devotion to Him, to get in and to be in His presence. And so we kept coming back to this mantra over and over and over again. We can't pass down what we don't possess. We can't give away what we don't have. Um, I, got, uh, I was in a text uh, thread with, with, with my guys this past week, and uh, man, we were, we were all dealing with something. Uh, one guy sends a message about his boy and, uh, and his kids about things that he's dealing with. I sent a message out to the group and said, hey, this, I'm about to have to have the talk with my nine-year-old son because of some things that he's seen, some things that have been around in conversations. I'm like, how are we supposed to have this conversation? And, and, and all of us just kept pushing us back into the truth. This is what is true. This is what we passed down. This is the intentionality that we've talked about to be the voice of truth in our kids' lives. And, and, and so I want to tell you, that if you have Jesus, you have something to pass down. Don't let everything else fog out what's supposed to be most important in your life. Pass down the most important thing that you can pass down. And for this generation, and every generation that's gone before us, the best thing that we could ever pass down is the person who's living inside of you, if you're a follower of Jesus. The best thing that we could ever give away is what's been given to you in the life of Jesus. And so, When you think about what you want to pass down, make sure that's part of the equation. If it's not the whole, 
equation. I just want to ask you to do something this week that maybe you're comfortable with, maybe not. I, I want you to take down, take out a piece of paper or a notebook or a journal or whatever you tend to write on or uh, blog or type in something. I, I, I want you to write down like a goal uh, for your kids, if you have kids. I want you to write down a goal for a mentoring relationship if you don't have kids, um, or your adult kids, or your grandkids. I want you to write down something that you want to pass down to them. I mean, maybe it could be a material thing. I, I'm looking forward to passing down some material things to my kids. But the greatest thing that you could pass down. And then it's one thing to write it. It's another thing to make some intentional steps to make it happen. And so not only write the goal, but to write down some ways that you want to start pouring that thing into your child's life or into your mentee's life or into uh, somebody's life that's uh, uh, around you. Pass down what you possess. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for my friends. Would you help us to live for what will outlive us? Would you help us to live for what matters? Would you help us to possess and to own our faith in such a way that we pass it down to our friends, we pass it down to our kids, and we pass it down to the next generation, who will pass it on to the next generation, who will pass it on to the next generation. We can't do that alone, Father. We need you to help us to do that. We need you to do the work in us so that we might be able to pass it down. We pray uh, in Jesus' name that you would help us. Amen.